0: Well, we continue our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke. You might remember when we began this series, I said that the Gospel of Luke is featured, featured in the lectionary readings for this season of Lent. The lectionary is the three-year cycle of Scripture readings that if we were to read those over that three-year period of time, we'd be exposed to a great deal of, of the Bible. But on this particular Sunday, a lot of my clergy colleagues decided not to preach the gospel lesson for the lectionary because this is a story that you and I have heard over and over and over again if we've been raised in the church at all. It's a story that perhaps we might be tempted to think we can't learn anything from anymore. We kind of know everything that goes on in the story Everything that go is about that the story is about, but hopefully I, I I just don't have a lot of sense. I guess I decided to preach on it anyway, and hopefully that there will be something here today that you haven't thought about before or that you haven't heard before, uh, and that it might have been worth hearing this particular sermon um, as we began the scripture lesson this morning, you realize that there is um, um A man, a young son, who comes to his father and says, "...Give me my inheritance." And um, this is somewhat unusual, because usually daddy has to die before you start spreading out the inheritance... Uh, there were situations in life where uh, a father might be ready to just turn over his financial affairs. And so he decided to go ahead and give out the inheritance before he died because he was just ready to pass that on to someone else so that he no longer had to worry about it. But in our scripture lesson this morning, we get no evidence to suggest at all that this father is near death or that he's ready to just give up the day-to-day financial affairs of his home. And so what seems to be happening here is rather heartless, rather calloused that this younger son would come and say, Give me my money. And I'd like for you to imagine for a moment that you don't know this story and just imagine that your child walked in one day and said, Hey, give me my money, give me what's coming to me, do you think that you would have given it? I mean, do you think you would have said, well, sure, let me let me go get my checkbook right now, or um, uh, we'll use Apple Pay or something, you know, I, I, do you think you would have really done that? I I honestly, having never heard this story before, if I had a child that came to me and said, give me the money that's coming to me, I said, I'm going to give you something, but it ain't the money that's coming to you, right? I mean, it it's just seems so disrespectful. It, it just seems like you can't wait until I die before the the, the vultures start coming to get what's, what you're going to get. It, it seems really sort of calloused. It seems really sort of disrespectful, He doesn't say please. He doesn't give an explanation for why He wants it now or what He plans to do with it now. He just comes and He says, give me what's mine when you die. And yet, the surprising thing to me is is that the Father is willing to give it to Him. Now I want you to think about the fact that most of the wealth of that day was tied up in land. So it wasn't like he could have just pulled out his checkbook and written a check or given money. Most of the the, the the wealth that people possessed that day in this time was tied up in their land. And so in all likelihood, in order for the father to give that younger son his third, which is what the Mosaic law said was appropriate for the younger son, then there's a really good chance that this This father was going to have to do some real estate transactions. He was going to have to sell some of his property in order to get his son what was coming to him. And what you might also know about land during the day of Jesus is that that was really where your identity came from. I mean, it used to sort of be that way for us here in the country, in in, in our country. Uh, When I was growing up, you know, we... Um, we gave directions based on people's property. I don't know if you all, if Murfreesboro's ever been small enough for you to remember doing that. But in when I was growing up, we could say, well, you go down to the Johnson Farm, and there's a white fence there, and you turn right, and you go out about four miles, and you'll see the Henry Place, and, you know, that's so... Uh, and that land stayed in families for generations and generations and generations. So there are still people that I grew up with that are living on property that their parents lived on and that their grandparents lived on. And, their parents lived on. And so you have this sense in the scripture that land was probably where their money was tied up and that land also was a a, a big part of their identity. How much land you owned, where you owned that land, that was sort of a status symbol. So when the younger son is asking the father for his share of the inheritance, it not only means that the father has to sell some of his land and and give away some of his money to the son earlier than anticipated or expected, but it would have also impacted his status in the community to have to give up that land, to sell that land so that the son might have his money. And so imagine that that's what happens, that the father has to do that in order to give this younger son what's coming to him. And it doesn't take us long then to realize after the father does that to see what the younger son, uh, how, what happens to the younger son. We're told that he goes off to a distant country and it doesn't take him long before he's blown through everything that he just received. And if that's not bad enough, we're told that after he's blown through everything in this foreign country, uh, then there's a severe famine that comes. And again, if we're just hearing this story for the first time, we might be tempted to say, well... I guess that boy got what was coming to him, didn't he? That's why you don't go to your parents and ask for the money before they die. That's why you don't run off to a distant place and squander all of that money and then the famine comes. Well, hard lesson learned, young boy. That's why you need to do what's right. You know, maybe we're tempted to say that, but then it gets worse. Not only does he get all the money and go and blow it all, not only is he completely broke, but now he's forced to try to find any way to make ends meet, to find any way to get his next meal, and we're told that he begins to go feed the pigs. Now you probably know that for Jewish people, uh, pigs and swine were unclean. Uh, The Mosaic Law said that uh, cursed be anyone who uh, feeds the swine. Uh, You're supposed to avoid them and not touch them. And so here we have a a young son who has squandered everything that he had coming to him. Now he's endured this severe famine. Now he's forced to work with feeding the pigs. And we're told that he becomes so desperate that he's willing to eat the pods that are feeding the pig. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of the mummy pod wasp. I'm just kidding, that was last week's sermon. (laughs) That was last week's sermon. Some of y'all wasn't here. Uh, um, but I don't know, you know, you get so desperate that what you're actually feeding the pigs with, you think that, wow, I I would even eat that. I am so hungry. And so my favorite line in this whole story is verse 17. And in the NIV and some of the other translations, it says that when the younger son came to His senses. Came to His senses. Have you ever come to your senses? I mean, have you ever done something that in hindsight you wish you hadn't have done? Have you ever said something in your life that in hindsight you wish you hadn't have said? And, and, and things just didn't turn out in the way? You had this great plan and it started with, I'm going to get my money and I'm going to go off and have a really good time far, far away from home. Have you ever had that moment where you said or did something or you didn't do something or you didn't say something and all of a sudden you realize this was not my finest moment. This was not my best idea. Well, we're told that that's essentially what happens to the younger son. I mean, everything that could go wrong has gone wrong for this guy and he finally wakes up and he comes to His senses. And for this younger son, coming to his senses was in part uh, realizing that what he'd done wasn't a good idea, that he shouldn't have done it. It it was a part in remembering what he had back home, all the things that he'd given up, all the things that he'd sacrificed just because he had this, this seemingly great idea at the time to get what was coming to him and take off... And go do his own thing. This younger son comes to his senses. He realizes that that plan wasn't great. And he realizes that he would be better off back at home with what he had before. Even if he accepted the lowest possible position going back home, and that would have been in the form of a a day laborer who could be hired and fired in a moment's notice, even that situation would be better than where he found himself in this story. And, and I think it's important to note here that I, I don't get the sense that he's just trying to improve his circumstance. It's, it's not that he realizes how bad his life stinks now and that all he's got to do is just go back home and make it better. I mean, we are told in the Scripture lesson that he has realizes that he has sinned. That he's actually sinned against God, against heaven, and also against His Son. And he is humbled He is is humbled. He is so willing to go back and to confess his sin to his father and to repent of his sin to his father and accept whatever the consequences of that sin might be, even the lowliest position in his father's household. And so he begins to make his journey back. He's got this little speech he's been working on. This is what I'm gonna say. I'm just gonna apologize. I'm gonna say that I sinned against God and heaven and you and 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 I'm not worthy to be called your son and and if you just give me you know, he's got this whole speech. Have have you ever done that? When you whenever you get ready to go back and confess, you know, you just think about how you wanna say it and what you're gonna say and how you're gonna respond. Well, my second favorite verse in this whole story is that while he was a long way off, his father was looking for him. And when his father saw him uh, in the distance, his father began to take off running towards him. And I wonder, is there any better image that we have in uh, Scripture than this image, this characteristic of God? who's always waiting for us, who's always looking for us. And when God finds us, is, begins to run to us and embraces. But it's important to know that this was rather an undignified response for the Father to, to do this. It was unbecoming in that day for a man to take off Lift up his robe and to begin to run down the street. But this father doesn't care. This father's compassion and this father's joy is what propels him down that road that day. And when they get there and they embrace, that younger son begins to offer that apology that he's been thinking about for days, if not weeks. He launches into all those things that he planned to say, and the father just interrupts him. And before the young man can even apologize, the father is calling for a celebration, for a big party to be thrown. But not everybody is ready to party. The older son, he's been out in the field and he comes back and he's uh, hearing all of this dancing and all of this music taking place and so he begins to ask what's going on and he's told that his younger brother has finally come home and that the father is so excited at his return that the father is throwing a party. And we're told that that older son refuses to go into the party. He says, I'm just not going in. He's probably sitting there thinking, you know, I don't have any problem with you welcoming my younger son back, welcoming my younger brother back, but welcome him back with bread and water. Don't welcome him back with a fatted calf. I mean, they didn't really eat meat except on very, very special occasions in Jesus' day. So this is a big, big deal. And he's probably saying, I don't care if you welcome him back, but... Um, welcome him back with a sackcloth, not with your finest robe. Uh, I don't care if you welcome this, this clown back, but welcome him back with ashes, which would have been symbolic of repentance, and, and, and not with a ring. And I don't care if you welcome this sorry joker back, but welcome him back um, with uh, tears. Tears of disappointment not with merriment and joy and celebration. I mean, welcome him back, but make him get on his knees. Don't make him get on the dance floor. Don't don't let him get out there and just dance and act like that everything is okay. Because this older son was so angry at his younger brother and angry at his father, He would not go in. And we're told that the Father, in much the same way, is that He went out to the younger son. He now goes out to the older son. And He says, You know I love you too. You know that everything that I have is yours. I've been really, really generous to you as well. But but, um, this... Child, this son of mine, this brother of yours has come home and we need to throw a party. I wonder what happens in the story. Have you ever thought about that? We're really not told. Does the son go in? Does he stay out? What would you have done? all of that resentment that you have for your brother, would you have gone in? Could you have gotten over your resentment for the way that he treated your father, for the way he disrespected him and in essence disrespected you? During the season of Lent, I think that that might be one thing that we would spend some time reflecting on, using the scripture as a primary resource. This whole idea of forgiveness. Now, if you're like me, the way you've always heard this story is that uh, that God is the Father, and and so that's what we're supposed to see. But I'd like, and that's a theologically sound and important way to look at this scripture, but. Uh, in, in the hopes of maybe having us to think about the Scripture a little bit differently this morning, I'd like for you to stop and to consider um, whether or not all three people in this story have, uh, should have something to uh, forgive and something to be forgiven for. Uh, that the father, that the younger son, that the older son all have someone that they need to forgive, and perhaps all have something that they need to be forgiven for. There's a lot of stuff that we don't know happens in this story. Uh, We don't know, was there a strain between the two brothers uh, that had been going on for years that might have played a role in that younger son deciding to get what he had and to get out of town? We don't know if maybe that younger son decided to get what he was coming to him and leave is because he didn't like the way that he perceived his father's relationship with his older brother. Maybe he heard his father say things to his older brother that he interpreted in a way that just said, you know what, I'm not nearly loved as much as this older brother is. He always does everything right. Uh, I'm just going to get what I've got. I can't never seem to do anything right, so I'm just going to take what I've got coming to me and I'm going to leave. I wonder if the father sat around as he was waiting on that younger son every day, if he wondered, did I say something to him that caused him to get angry and make this decision to leave? Or did I not say something to him? I wonder if he thought in his own mind, is there something that I could have done differently that might have changed the way the story played out? Is there something that I need to ask for forgiveness for when that younger son returns? Because it was unintentional, and I didn't realize it at the time, but, but I said or did something that played a role in his leaving." And is there something that maybe the father said or did to the older son that caused him to be so resentful? That caused him to be so angry? Is there animosity between the two brothers? You see, I think that, um, that all of us sitting here this morning need forgiveness from somebody. We've hurt them in a way that uh, maybe we don't even begin to understand. But all of us also, having been aware of our need for forgiveness, maybe, hopefully, that makes us more willing to forgive. So we need to be forgiven. And we all need to be forgiving. And so that's how I'd, how I'd like for you to spend this week in this Lenten journey that we're on. It's just stopping and asking ourselves, is there anybody in my life that I need to forgive? And is there anyone in my life to whom I need to go and ask for forgiveness?